This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. Podcast fans, we are on episode 225, future award-winning Talk to Buffalo podcast. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. Before I get into what's going on with today's episode, let's start with a little shitty news because I know that would be such a shock in today's world to start with shitty news. but. A good friend to this podcast, somebody that I consider a friend, Joe Yurden, who covers the Buffalo Sabres for The Athletic, has been on this show several times, lost his job late last week. Another, yet another, I should say, unfortunate victim of this coronavirus pandemic. It makes me sick to my stomach. But anyway, The Athletic did a round of budget cuts this past week. They laid off like 46 staffers from brands all over the country, like 8% of their staff in total, something like that. And Joe was an unfortunate victim by it. I mean, I understand from a business perspective, I I try to look at both sides. I get it. There's no hockey going on, at least for the Buffalo Sabres, I should say. not. There's hockey coming, but there ain't hockey coming for the Buffalo Sabres. They haven't played since March. They're probably not going to play until close to the end of 2020. They already have John Vogel, who covers the beat for the Sabres, and they've had two beat writers. There is no beat to cover. It blows. I'm, I'm disgusted about it because, A, I like Joe as a person, first and foremost. Uh, again, he's been on this podcast a handful of times. Last summer when I was in Buffalo, Joe and I hooked up. We did a live show together. We went to Essex Street Pub on the west side, which Joe lives on the west side. I'm from the west side, so it was a lot of fun. A good stroll down memory lane, a good talk. Again, Joe, very likable. He's personable, a great character guy. Love Joe, man. So I'm disgusted about it. And, you know, I'm talking about the personal side, but forget all that. Your boy's a hell of a hockey writer, man. Hell of a writer. I'm disgusted. I am. I understand, but I'm disgusted. I haven't had a chance to reach out to Joe yet. I figured he's got a lot of shit going on and trying to line up a gig and get his own thoughts together, stuff like that. So I haven't reached out to him, but I'm just saying right here, I'm public on the air, man. I'm disgusted about it. And I hope, really hope, and I'm sure he will land on his feet. And I'll tell you what, I hope, obviously, it's the Buffalo market, but I don't give a shit where it is. It could be Chicago, Detroit, Toronto, wherever Joe winds up. I'll be the first to 
sign up for that outlet and, and read his work. So big ups to Joe, man. And I, and I hope everything works out, but yeah, that, that really sucks. And staying on that topic of sucks. Well, maybe this doesn't suck. Everything that's going on in the world sucks right now. We all know that. But for today's show, at least anyway, I'm not going to talk about anything going on in the country with the protesting and everything else, and more specifically, Buffalo. It's not that I don't have a lot of thoughts on it, because I promise you I do. But frankly, this podcast, for me, at least today anyway, needs to be an escape. I need to talk about sports. I need to think about something that's far more lighthearted. I need an escape. And I'm sure most of you do as well. In fact, I would venture to say that if you're tuned into this podcast, if you subscribe to Talk of Buffalo podcast, it's not because you want to hear Patrick Moran's thoughts on social inequality and racial injustice and police brutality and all that stuff. Now, I have a lot of thoughts, some deep thoughts, some strong thoughts, but I feel like you're not tuned in to hear them. So at least for today, I'm going to keep that shit to myself and focus on, again, having a little bit of a a break from reality, which kind of leads to today's episode, by the way. My guest will be Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan Show, who, by the way, also has a new podcast called Bruce Exclusive coming on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. We'll talk about that. But when I said break from reality, this is more specifically what I had in mind for today. And this has nothing to do, and I mean literally nothing to do, with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, let's face it, there's not nothing going on with the Buffalo Bills. So we can do without a week of Buffalo Bills talk. I want to do something different. And here's what it is. Now, let's pretend. Okay, and let me emphasize that word for all you out there listening. Pretend that the NFL never plays another game. Let's say this pandemic makes the NFL fold. Obviously, that's not going to happen. I'm just saying, let's freaking pretend. If that were to happen, what players that are in the NFL right now, active, would end up in the NFL Hall of Fame? That's the question. That's the topic for today's show. And let me emphasize, we never play another game. So there's no projections going forward. You take a young guy like, say, Saquon Barkley, who's only been in the league for a couple of years. Great player, probably well on his way to what would be an NFL Hall of Fame career. But guess what? Saquon Barkley ain't ever going to play in another game, so he's not going to end up in the NFL Hall of Fame. Who is? Bruce and I discussed that. It was kind of fun. It was like uh, every year when they get together, the committee to decide who goes in the Hall of Fame, they have some discussions. Some guys are first-year eligible locks. by two-second conversation. Some require a little more thought. That was the approach that Bruce and I took with this. And we have four different categories. We had locks which again, three-second conversations. We have near locks. We have 50-50 guys, and we have long shots. I put together a pretty lengthy list. Bruce and I go through it, decide who's in, who's out. And of course, Bruce had some guys of his own that I didn't think to include because, again, not surprising. That's why Bruce is arguably the best Buffalo Bills podcaster out there, without question, one of the best football minds that I know. Fun exercise. Again, a break from reality, but interesting. So I'm not going to give away any more details. I'll just get right down to business. Here it is, my chat with Bruce Nolan. All right, my guest co-host of the Nick and Nolan Show, also now host of the brand new 
the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. My go-to guy for all Buffalo Bills and football stuff in general, Bruce Nolan. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Dude, it's good to be here. It's great to be here. It's just good to be talking about football. It really is. And I'll tell you what, I'll reiterate what I kind of said in the opening. I think people at this point just kind of want a, a reprieve, a break from talking about all this craziness in the world. And we kind of discuss it for a few minutes before we started rolling. So we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to kind of stick to the script for today, at least anyway, which is football and podcasting. And I got a unique idea that I haven't heard a lot about that I think we're going to have some fun with kind of winging it. Because like I said, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. You got some guys that I don't even know about. So we'll get to that in a second. But I also said podcasting that I do want to take a couple minutes here at the top and talk about. So you and Nick have been doing the Nick and Dolan show for a while now. You guys have made a good name for yourself. It's become a very popular podcast and it's not going away, but you and Nick are also both doing solo podcasts now. Like I said, they're the Bruce exclusive use Thursday and Friday by yourself. Tell us a little bit about that and a little bit why you guys arrived at the decisions that you did to do your own separate ventures. Cause this feels like a, a rock group, a duet that's kind of going out on tour and doing their own thing for a while as well. <laughs> Nick and uh, Nick and I started chatting a while back about how best to align the, the topics and the, the things that we were passionate about with the things that we were good at. And that's really where the best content comes for the consumer. Something that you're good at and something that you're passionate about come together. And that combination is viewed by the consumer as being something that is engaging and something that might be enlightening and something that is dynamic. And what we found is that Nick had an opportunity to do some some interview pods with some uh, COVID-19 epidemiologists and infectious disease doctors. He ended up doing a interview podcast with Tim Graham about the uh, Pagula sports and entertainment stuff. And those were really well received. And that's something that Nick's really passionate about. And every pod that we did jointly was one less pod. He could do the thing that he really loves. And don't get me wrong, he loves doing this stuff with me too, but we had exhausted a lot of the things that we had initially planned to talk about because, you know, let's be honest, I'm not entirely sure either one of us thought it was going to become as big of a, as big of a, as a pod as it did. Right. And so it was, it was a scenario where how could we best align the things that we like doing with the things that the audience was going to like hearing from us. And so one of the things that we really enjoy doing is during the season, when our first pod drops on Thursdays, we really like getting our thumb on the narratives because what, what you'll find is that after a game on Sunday, the narratives start to kind of percolate in the social media sphere and with the way that particular storylines start to come out of the game. And we like having enough time to really tackle those narratives once they're fully formed. And that's something that we're good at, something we do well. But then when it comes to the off season, Nick, by his own admission, is not a huge draft guy. And I am a huge draft guy. And so that kind of puts us in an awkward position because he, he finds himself not being super engaged with that. And I am super engaged with that. Meanwhile, when there's an epidemiologist to be interviewed, Nick's like, yes, absolutely. Let's jump on that. I'm like, you know what? No, I think I'll pass on that. I think, <laughs> right. I'll, yeah. I think I'll pass on the epidemiologist while I go watch some film. And so how is it that we can best align what we do well and what we love while still keeping the essence of what made Nick and Nolan, Nick and Nolan. And so 
we came up with this plan and we were really excited about it. And what it basically means is that people who liked both of us get three pods a week instead of two, mm-hmm. which is great. And then you still get that Nick and Nolan stuff during the year that you were able to get before, but also I can do more of the stuff that I like doing with the draft and things like that. And he can do the stuff that he likes doing some of the human interest stuff by his own admission. That's what he called it. Some of the more human interest stuff. And so we figured that this was just a win for everybody involved. And you know, I, I, I always struggle coming up to decisions like this because I desperately don't want people to misunderstand what's happening here. Right. Um, there's, there's no bad blood between Nick and Nick and I talk every single day almost. And, um, he, I have like one friend like house, like in real, like real life friend, like not like podcasting or Bill's media friends, like what real friend, like someone who I would talk to about not that stuff. Right. right? And, and Nick's basically it aside from my wife. And so, there's, there's absolutely none of that. There's none of this create. We, we broke up over creative differences or something like that. Cause we didn't break up. We just split off for specific things and then come back together. So now instead of the Nick and Nolan being a every week, sort of a grind, Nick and Nolan now becomes this epic mega crossover between two people who have their own shows. I like it a lot. And it was important. This is why I wanted to talk about this early during this segment as opposed to the end, because I think it's kind of important because sometimes people might happen to be just glancing by or they hear information secondhand from somebody and it comes without context and they jump to the wrong conclusions. It would have been easy to say, you know, if somebody just told me a, a podcasting buddy that, Hey, Nick Nolan show is not coming back to the season. The guys are both doing their own show. Now my first thought would be like, Oh, you know, is there trouble in paradise? Something going on. So that's one of the reasons why, I wanted to talk about that right at the top with you. Secondly, I, I also agree with it. I would imagine during the off season, maybe more so for Nick, like for the entire off season and maybe for you after the draft, it is like you said, a grind. And for Nick, I don't, <laughs> I know Nick pretty well, not obviously nowhere near as well as you do, but I have conversations with him and they're not always just about podcasting or football, just about life and 80s music he has that in common with me we're both talking shit about 80s music all the time but I feel like like you said his passion is more about interviewing people and having a variety of topics and different guests where you're the football guy and for me that works man it's like I use a comparison all the time if you guys were a CBS crew like he's Jim Nance and you're Tony Romo and both those guys are very important on their own you bring them together and that's what provides a great broadcast now, for you, again, tell people about the Bruce exclusive. I know not a lot's changing, but it's still going to be on Thursdays and Fridays, business as usual for you. The difference is you're doing it completely solo now, correct? Yes, completely solo. Obviously, I'll have guests on sporadically if I have specific things that I want to do, but it is not a guest-focused pod by any means. And basically, it will be a lot of the content that you would have heard had Nick stuck around and done Nick and Nolan Thursdays and Fridays with me. Um, And that's really what it is. It it will be probably a little bit more draft-heavy prior to the draft. Um, because it's something that I'm passionate about. I'll be able to share with you some of the film that I've been watching and the prospects I've been enjoying and things like that. And some of the things that maybe get a little bit, little bit grindy, little nitty gritty. Um, so I'm excited about that. Overall, I don't think it, the content will be markedly changing. I think that when you do a solo pod, there is a certain amount of your personality that starts to slip out a little bit more. 
just because it has to, you know, you're kind of yelling into the ether. And so, um, you know, I've got new podcast music that I'm really excited about new podcast intro music. My wife and I kind of mixed that and did some voiceovers over the weekend. And so I'm kind of hoping maybe, maybe a little bit more of my personality starts to come out because it's harder to kind of display that when you, Nick and I used to record face to face and then we just live so far away and we, we weren't able to record face to face anymore. And so when you record, and it's kind of, I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk. Some of that personality sometimes get kind of gets deadened a little bit. Sure. And so when you do solo pod and you're just kind of monologuing your way through it, it is, I think some of the personality starts to come out. So I think I'm kind of excited about that. I think I'm a little bit wackier maybe than perhaps, <laughs> perhaps has been previously shown. Yeah. And so maybe that will come out. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm really excited for both of us. I think it's going to be an abs. I think it's an absolutely wonderful move for the listeners to get to hear us in our element more often. And that was the goal. I think for a show like yours to work, you talked about this personality means a lot. Now I know a lot of good podcasters and I'm probably going to include myself not to call myself a good podcaster. But what I'm saying is if I did a solo show once a week, every week, let alone twice a week, I would suck. It's not what my strength is. It's not what I'm good at. I'm more of a conversationalist, whereas you're good at that too. But like you said, I mean, it's about personality and having the ability. Doing a solo podcast, here's what I'm getting at. It's definitely not for everybody. Now, I've heard you do solo shows because you've been doing it because Nick's been on kind of a hiatus for the most part for a while recently. So I've heard plenty of your shows solo and you do a good job, but you got to agree, man. I'm, I'm sure you listen to other podcasts. Solo shows are not for everybody. It takes kind of a, a special talent to excel at that. Yes. And we're here's crossing our fingers that I have that special talent necessary to <laughs> excel at it. It is, it is, it is very difficult to do it. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, you can make an argument that Joe Marino is the goat because he does, you know, five show low shows a week and that's hard. there are, you know, it's really hard and coming up with content is really hard and being able to fill the space is really hard. You always think you have 40 minutes of content and then you start talking, you look down you're like, I'm done. It's 15 minutes. You're like, whoa, what happened there? <laughs> I hear has you. gone horribly wrong. You know what? So it's the opposite for me, though, Bruce. I feel like sometimes I because I get off a point or I, I get on a point and I can't freaking get off of it. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't think I have enough content. And then I'm looking up because I've done a couple solo shows and I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm 40 minutes in. I feel like I should only be 15. Well, apparently you're just more verbose than I am is what it is. You're, 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 you're able, you're able to take five words and turn it into 10 a lot more so than I am, but it, 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 man, it's tough. It's really tough. And I, I have a lot of respect. I have grown quite a bit since we started doing it. I've got a long way to go sure. to get better at this, but I have a ton of respect for the people, you know, Greg Tom said over at cover one does his solo now too, that Aaron Quinn's not there and, and he does it live solo. So there's, there's just so much. I mean, we have an unbelievable group of media and content creators for the Buffalo and, and Buffalo fans don't know it because they haven't lived all over the country and listened to a bunch of different sports talks, not necessarily. And I have, and I'm just telling you right now, uh, we've got a pretty good here. The fact that we've got multiple people who are even capable of doing a solo podcast without you wanting to stab your eyes out with a spork is probably a, a testament to how good we've got it. I agree a hundred percent. And whether it's a solo podcast or a duo doing it together. I feel like it's a shame that it's basically Twitter. You know, we live and die on Twitter. I think at this point, not just Twitter, but primarily Twitter. Cause I know there's Facebook and stuff. Point being is that social media without having a budget and an overhead to do a lot of advertising, you kind of 
make your bones through social media. That's how word of mouth spreads with you. I feel like there's a lot of mainstream people out there who might not even know of not just your podcast, but some other good ones out there that hopefully in time they do learn about. Because once they do and they listen, I feel like they're the kind of people that are going to come back. One more question about podcasting, then we'll get into our topic for today. How do you get locked in when you're taping? Like, do you have a ritual? Do you have a tradition? Do you have a, a mindset to get yourself ready before you start taping? Because it can be part of a process. And I've learned this kind of the hard way. It's not like I didn't know it before, but like this last week, especially, I said I wasn't going to talk about stuff that's going on in this world today because that's not what this episode is going to be about. And I'm not, but I will say this. I struggled last week with focus. Big time. Last Tuesday, I had Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News on. Really good guest. And I found my mind wandering throughout the taping. And then on Friday, I did a five-topic Friday show with my buddy Joe. And we had four other topics before we eventually got to Drew Brees, which would lead to a conversation about that. And it was kind of like I was mailing in those other four topics because I wanted to get to that so bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you have your own process getting yourself mentally ready because I know that sounds silly to somebody, the average person, but you do need to get yourself where you can block out everything that's going on in the world. Once you get behind that microphone for 30, 60 minutes, however long it may be. Yeah, I have, um, I have a specific playlist that I use based on whether or not I feel like my heart rate needs to be higher or lower. So I have, um, I have two playlists on my on my phone and one is called heart rate higher and one is called heart rate lower it is not broken into genres it is not broken into uh, types or feelings or moods it is broken into physiological destinations <laughs> what do i want my body to do at this point if, if i feel like i'm too high i will listen to the heart rate lower podcast if i feel like i'm not podcast the playlist if I feel like I'm a little bit too low and my energy level needs to come up. I will listen to the heart rate higher. And so I just pay really close attention to where my heart rate's out at and whether or not I need to be higher or lower, more calm or more dynamic, more energetic or more relaxed. And I listen to the appropriate playlist to be able to get that done. I'll tell you what, now that might be out there, but your new podcast is called the Bruce exclusive. I kind of feel like that was an exclusive right here. Have you talked about that before on your show? I've never heard not. of that. No, I, I, in fact, I only do it when I, I don't do it with Nick because Nick, I have Nick, I have to balance that too. Sure. So if Nick, you know, it's not just about me, it's about balancing whatever Nick is bringing. And if Nick is bringing energy, I have to match his energy. And if Nick is being super chill, then I can't be bouncing off the walls or it'll sound weird to the, to the listener. So when I only do it when it's solo podcasts, when it's only me and I have a specific target I'm trying to hit, you know, if you say, okay, you know, normal resting heart rates between 60 and 90. Okay. Maybe I'm a little bit jazzed up right now. Maybe I'm in 86 and I need to come down a little bit, or maybe I'm at 64 and I need to go up a little bit. And so you're trying to target a specific number and you're trying to get the specific amount of energy that you need. In addition, I find myself talking quickly. And so yeah. controlling the, controlling the heart rate, helps me control the syntax and the rhythm of my speech. Tell you what, I might steal your shit, man. That's pretty interesting. I never thought of it that way. Completely true as well. So I've been talking to you about getting you on the podcast. Look, I'd have you on every week if I could. I enjoy talking to you first and foremost. Secondly, you bring the hits to this podcast. So I like that. But at the same token, I said, you know what? There's just not shit going on with the Buffalo Bills. I feel like we'd be kind of having a pointless conversation, at least nothing that I could bring to the table. So let me walk that back a little bit. You could, 
but I can't. So what I wanted to do was something different. And I came up with a scenario where we talked about players in the NFL that are currently active that if, and this is an unrealistic hypothetical for anyone out there listening, it's never going to happen. But let's just say that this pandemic or something else caused the NFL to fold and we never watched another NFL game again, ever. The currently active players, who amongst them would end up in the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio? I, I think the requirement for me is like, you got to have at least five or six killer seasons, you know, but if, if you don't agree with that, you certainly have a right to argue against that. But the one thing that I said going into this, you know, I kind of gave you homework, so to speak. I said, we can't put a guy in the Hall of Fame based on projection on what we think he's going to end up doing throughout his career. A guy like, say, Saquon Barkley or Patrick Mahomes or Christian McCaffrey, I think those are great examples of elite players right now, but they haven't done enough. So based on that, I put them in the four categories, locks, and these are so far anyway, when I, the categories are my opinion, not Bruce's. Uh, we'll see if he agrees or not with some of these, but I got locks, near locks, 50-50 guys in long shots, and we won't waste a lot of time on the locks, maybe a little bit for the near locks, but the real debate's going to be, I'm sure it's going to begin when we get to 50-50 guys. Now, I got a total of 35 candidates here. Didn't know if you would have any on your own. I did talk to you beforehand. You do have some guys of your own, correct? I do. And I don't know of them. And I didn't want to know either. Because I kind of want to find out who they are and what your case may be for against them, along with everyone else as they're listening. So I got some scattered notes, but you got to get the gist of where I'm getting at with all this. Right, Bruce? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good topic, and I think it's interesting saying, okay, not who's going to be a Hall of Famer, who would be a Hall of Famer if the season and the entire sport folded right now. And so really what this ends up being a discussion is how you view Hall of Famers versus the way that I view Hall of Famers, sure. how we think someone should be in versus whether or not someone will be in. And so that's something we're probably going to have to figure out real quick early is, are we predicting this? Are we saying, Hey, I think they would get in, but I don't think they should. Or are we making an argument based on who we think should be in if the NFL ended right now? That's a good point. And that's one of the things I like about doing this exercise with you is because we will figure that out on the fly because we have, I sent you some players and some stats to get you started to, you know, formulate your own opinion on them. But we have not talked about any of this. And that wasn't by accident either, because I like doing things this way, kind of on the fly. I do want to add one more thing, too, because I do have three names on this list um, that are guys that they're not. Well, they are retired, but I personally, me, don't consider them officially retired until the 2020 season begins. For me, if you played the 2019 season, that means you're active. Okay, so I just want everyone out there knowing I'm talking about three specific players we'll hit on um, Eli Manning, Luke Keekley, and Joe Staley. Those are the three guys that I got anyway. So on that note, we'll go through, I suspect, I could be wrong. Again, I don't know because I did not talk to you about these ahead of time, but I have locks and I got 11 guys that are locks. I'm going to read off this list here. And if there's any that you disagree with, I certainly want to hear about that. And, and, you know, we'll have a discussion, but otherwise we'll start to get into the other players. The 11 guys I got on my list. And again, for everyone out there listening, this is if the NFL folded now and there's never another game. These guys would be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Actually, Bruce, you know what? Before we get cooking here, what should our criteria be? Should, do you think it should be 
are we predicting these guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame? Or do you think we should talk about if you think that they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? What are you more comfortable going with? Well, I mean, I think you technically you could do both because you, when you have a disagreement, when you have a player who does not line up with both should be and will be, you can always draw attention to that at that specific player. But I don't think we're going to have a ton of those. I don't think we're going to have a, you know, seven or nine players. Well, they're totally going to get in, but I don't think they should be. Or they're totally not going to get in, but I totally think they should. I don't think that's going to happen super often. So perhaps we could just draw attention to it when it does. All right. I like that. Sounds good. All right. So let's go with the locks. These are the guys that I think are shoe-ins, guys that I think should be in and will be in. And I got Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Larry Fitzgerald, Ben Roethlisberger, Frank Gore, Terrell Suggs, Rob Gronkowski, J.J. Watt, Adrian Peterson, Aaron Rodgers, and Eli Manning. And again, I know Eli's retired, but he was at he played 2019, so I still consider him active. Those 11 guys, is there anyone I said that you would even have a second thought about putting in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I would absolutely not put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame because people care a lot more about rings than they probably should. But I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning has two Pro Bowls in 15 seasons. At no point was he ever an All-Pro, ever. So at no point was he ever an All-Pro, basically ever. Now, he got in to the Pro Bowl back, back, you know, back halfedly, you know, a little uh, back acidly, I guess, a couple times. So he has a total of four Pro Bowls. But if you look at Eli Manning relative to his peers, because that's what it matters, right? It's hard to compare across eras. So if you look at him relative to his peers, I'm not sure there was ever a time when Eli Manning was one of the top four quarterbacks in the league, ever, over the course of his entire stretch. I went back and I looked from 2004 to 2019 and I never took a year where I was like, yes, that year he was one of the top four quarterbacks in the league. The only difference between Eli Manning and Joe Flacco is Joe Flacco got hot once Eli Manning got hot twice and Eli Manning got more organizational loyalty and stuck around longer. That's it. If you take Joe Flacco and you give him a longer career and you have him get hot in the playoffs one more time, you get Eli Manning. I don't think Eli Manning needs to be in there. Longevity matters at certain positions. I don't think quarterback's one of them. And really, that's really, it's kind of like a baseball argument. You know, with baseball, there's a lot of these longevity arguments because you have a tendency to rack up stats the longer you play, obviously. So there's a lot of that discussion with baseball because total X raw stat matters a lot when it comes to baseball Hall of Fame. Total hits, total home runs, all that stuff matters. I'm not of the opinion that matters overly in football. And I mean, think about this. He, he's, he's a, what, a career percent, completion percentage of 60. Okay, great. So he racked up yardage numbers because he played for a long time, but he had a career touchdown percentage of 4.5 and a career interception percentage of 3.0. He's at no point did I think, oh man, yeah, Eli Manning, one of the, clearly one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, not a single first team all pro during his entire time. He was only dominant for a couple stretches. Those stretches just happened to be during the playoffs. So I wouldn't put Eli Manning in because the, the fact that he has rings is not super relevant to me because I don't think wins are a quarterback stat. And if you want to say wins are a quarterback stat, then he's 117 and 117. So either way, you're messed up. If you're an Eli Manning defender, either a wins are a quarterback stat 
in which case he has a lousy winning record as a quarterback. If B wins are not a quarterback stat, then you can't give him credit for the rings. So either way, you're in a bad position to try and defend putting Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. I am not. I think he'll go in. I do think he'll go in because people care about that stuff that I just mentioned that you shouldn't care about. But I would absolutely not put him in. Well, I I don't disagree with you, especially when you put it that way. I will say this is one of those categories in where I think could and should or should and will, I should say, are going to differ because maybe he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And you certainly presented the perfect argument against that right there. But at the end of the day, the fact that he beat New England in the Super Bowl twice, which does matter. The fact that he I think he won two Super Bowl MVPs uh, that he, and then he played in New York, too. I mean, stuff like that matters as well. I think that that's a case where. I think maybe you're right where he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but I would be shocked. Not only do I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer too when it's all said and done. And again, not saying he deserves it, but I could easily see him being a first ballot guy too. Strong take. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I because it, it's right. I didn't expect a tough one right off the bat, but as you were talking, I'm like, well, you know, that that's right. It really is. I mean, he was a very above average quarterback. You know, that's the best you could say. Certainly not elite, but he did get hot at the right time twice. And you think about Tom Brady and his six rings, just one for Eli Manning, he had eight. You know, so there's, there's two factors with Hall of Famers. How good were they and how long were they that good? Sure. That's the two things. And my answer is for Eli is he was never that good. He was just okay for a really long time and it had flashes of awesomeness. But those flashes weren't like four or five season stretches. You said in your opening, they had to have five or six killer seasons, right? Yeah. I would make an argument. Eli didn't have three killer seasons. Hmm. He had, he had some killer runs in the playoffs, but you could make an argument that his best season was 2015 and his team was six and 10. During that time, he threw for 4,432 yards with 35 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. That's the absolute peak of Eli Manning. Hmm. Now, well, if I, Josh Allen threw for that, we'd be, we'd be over the moon. But if Josh <laughs> Allen threw for that every year, we wouldn't think he was a Hall of Famer. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. How about this? In five years from now, uh, I don't think they want Bruce Nolan. <laughs> Eli Manning's representation probably doesn't want <laughs> Bruce Nolan in that room going through the pros and the cons. He's not going to pick you to to make a case for him. Let's put it that way. What about those other guys? So I named 11 of them in total. Are you good with the other 10? Is there any wavering from you on any of those guys? I am good with the other 10. I think a lot of people would wonder about Frank Gore, but I mentioned to you that that longevity matters at certain positions. Quarterback is not one of them. I do think running back is one of them. Having uh, being still productive for this long matters at the running back position. Having good seasons in your mid thirties is almost unheard of relative to that. And especially for somebody who coming out of college, the knock on Frank Gore was he couldn't stay healthy. That was the knock on Frank Gore. Yeah. He's coming out of Miami and like, man, you know, he was a mercurial talent, but goodness gracious, you know, he can't, can't stay healthy. And then he just keeps chugging along over and over and over again. I mean, and when you when you rack up yards that significantly, it almost becomes a baseball argument. You think, how can you keep that guy out 
with those amount of raw stats. And that kind of thing stuff matters, especially when it comes to sacks and rushing yards and things like that. I mean, for goodness sake, this guy was very, very, very good for the 49ers for a very long time. I mean, from 2006 to 2014, that's a long time, okay? He had every single year was over 1,000 yards except for one when it got cut short a little injury. And then from 2006 all the way to 2017, 11 years of 850 rushing yards or more. Yeah, that's That's just staggering. And you have to give somebody like that credit. There was a time, in addition, when you would say Frank Gore was one of the top three or four or five running backs in the league. That was a thing. When he was with San Francisco, this is a guy who was a first-round fantasy football pick every single year because you know he was going to carry the rock. He was going to get the load. He was going to be productive. He was going to average between four and a half and five yards of carry. He was going to score between, you know, four and 10 touchdowns a year rushing the ball. And he was going to get you that. He was, you could say you're watched by Frank Gore. And at some positions that matters and running back is one of them, what he has done and what he has managed to do, given how, how much, that running backs typically fall off so fast is just staggering. So I think that Frank Gore is a hall of famer. If there was another guy on that list that I could have listened to an argument again, a guy I think absolutely will be, I I would agree with you that Eli Manning was the uh, wonkiest pick. I know this might be a little bit surprising, but I feel like big Ben would probably be second on my list. Now he's had a great career, a long career, Stone for a ton of yards. He's won two Super Bowls, so he's absolutely getting in. But how many years was he among the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL? And also, I'm looking right now, literally, as I'm talking to you, I know a lot of this these games don't seem like much, but this guy's missed a lot of his career because of injuries. I mean, he missed all of last year, obviously. Uh, if he missed one game, I'm not going to bother mentioning it. But he missed four games in 2015. He missed three games in 2012. He missed four games in 2010. He missed uh, four games in 2005, and he's missed two or three games in other seasons, too. It's like, it's not a guy that you can have out there for 16 weeks. He's always hurt. Didn't win an MVP in either of Pittsburgh Super Bowl wins either. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't or wouldn't be in, but if I was going to make an argument against somebody, like if I was doing it just to make the argument, he probably would have been second on my list. Yeah, if I, if I had to really, if you were forcing me to argue against it, now I think he will be and I think he should be in. If you were forcing me to argue against it, you could say, yeah, he was banged up a little bit. But a lot of people forget that, you know, before he got hurt in 19, you could make an argument 18 was his best season. True. I mean, 67% completion percentage, 5,129 yards, 34 touchdowns, 16 years, 5,100 yards, Pat. Yeah. I mean, just staggering passing numbers, you know, for the Pittsburgh team that really had to rely on him very significantly at 36 years old too. at 36 years old. And so, you know, it's ironic that the, the best years of his career have come the back half. I mean, if you look at the you know first half of his career, right, let's break down his career into 2004 to 2012 and then 13 to 19, right? 14 to sorry, 2004 to 2012. He made two pro bowls. 13 to 19, he made four Pro Bowls. Yeah. He's actually getting better. And the best seasons of his career are the ones where Pittsburgh didn't win a Super Bowl. So I think those are the two things that kind of create a disconnect there. But 
for me, Ben Roethlisberger is a first Hall of Famer. I, I first battle Hall of Famer. I think he, I would put him in over Eli Manning 10 times out of 10. It's not, it's not even close as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to six guys that I got as near locks. I'll read each one off, throw out a couple numbers. Then I'll ask you if, you know, if you're inducting them in the can and you could give me a yay or nay, a take on why some of these, again, it might be a, a quick wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yes or no. And then we'll move on. Some might require more, uh, explanation from you. So I got six guys. Let's start with Philip Rivers, 14 years in the league. And again, I'm throwing out some vanilla stats, but just so people out there know, and maybe you got something to add, or maybe you don't. 14 years, 397 touchdowns, which is sixth all-time in the NFL. He's sixth all-time in the NFL in passing yards, and he's had eight Pro Bowls. Now, for the rest of this list, by the way, Bruce, when I run them off, to be honest with you, I looked at Pro Bowls, and you brought up a good point with Eli Manning. Sometimes these guys back into a Pro Bowl, and they get credit for it. So I don't know how many he was actually voted in for, how many he ended up playing in, but I look at the stats and I see eight Pro Bowls. But anyway, that's the line on Phillip Rivers. So what do you think? I would put him in because wins are a quarterback stat. They're going to they're gonna hurt him, and he'll be behind Eli Manning in the discussion, but he shouldn't be because wins are a quarterback stat. Phillip Rivers is a better quarterback than Eli Manning. He just didn't get it hot at the right time, and the San Diego Chargers didn't do a, a wonderful job of building that team. And they've had some of the worst special teams luck in big moments of any franchise I've ever seen. The you know, bills are snake bitten and everything, but the chargers whoo, whoo boy, the chargers find creative ways to lose yeah, games. Yes, and do. very few of them were because of Phillip rivers. And so later in his career, obviously became more of an interception machine. And I understand that. I don't think he's, I don't think the chances of him being a super strong starter in Indianapolis are high, but I would absolutely put Phillip Rivers in the Hall of Fame. I think that during his career, there was a huge chunk of it where he was one of the top three or five quarterbacks in the league. And I think that matters. All right. Next guy I got is Richard Sherman, NFL for nine years. He's got 35 picks, all decade team. By the way, probably when I say all decade team, pro football references where I got a lot of these stats from. There was a pro football Hall of Fame that had an all decade team. So whenever I say for the rest of these guys, the all decade team, I'm going by that list. So all decade team for Richard Sherman. Five Pro Bowls, three first-team All-Pros. What's your verdict on him? Absolutely. I put him in 100%. I think that Richard Sermon helped redefine what a zone corner could be. I think that Seattle's Seattle's Legion of Boom wasn't just fascinating from a personality standpoint. I think it was this idea that sometimes you took these longer, slower corners, and you know historically, NFL teams had moved them to safety. And that's what you did with corners who were longer and slower. And this idea that you could turn them into a cover three boundary corner was kind of novel at the time. And that's where Seattle's defense started to get its, you know, it's, it's stuff together. And, you know, Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley were able to parlay that into head coaching jobs because of how revolutionary it was. And Richard Sherman, I think his intelligence, his savvy, the fact that he is really one of the definitive zone coverage corners of his generation, I think matters. Next guy on the list, offensive lineman, Zach Martin, six years in the NFL so far, six Pro Bowls, four first-team All-Pros. Obviously, been one of the more uh, dominating offensive linemen in the NFL. But again, can't play anymore. Has he done enough for you? I think I would put him in, but Gail Sayers got in. And so when you talk about Gail Sayers, this idea was he was really, really good, but he wasn't good for very long because he had injuries and it kept him out. In this case, it wouldn't be the injuries. It would be the NFL folding that would keep Zach Martin out. But from the time he walked in the door, he was one of the best guards in the league. And so 
you said you need, you know, five or six strong seasons. His five or six happened to be his first five and six seasons in a row. When, when I have an argument with this longevity discussion with somebody else, I ask them, I say, okay, so what you're saying is if Zach Martin, a player like this, had three mediocre seasons before his six awesome Pro Bowls and his four first team all pros, and then three mediocre seasons after it, you'd be okay with that because then he'd have 12 seasons. Right. And well, um, yeah, well, the, it's still the same amount of dominance. So are, are we talking about dominance here? Are we talking about longevity because really it's about how, how good you are and how long you were that good. And so whether that's the first six years of your career, the middle six years of your career or the back half six years of your career, it doesn't really matter to me. So I would put Zach Martin in, but I think a lot of people would push me back on it. I agree with you a hundred percent. Next guy, Von Miller, nine years, 106 sacks, seven years of double-digit sacks, 26 forced fumbles, the 2011 Defensive Rookie of the Year, a Super Bowl MVP, All-Decade Team, eight Pro Bowls, three-time first-team All-Pros. I'll tell you what, before I hand this off to you, as I'm looking at this, I'm starting to feel like I might should have put him in the lock category. Maybe you don't agree with me, but uh, what, what's your thoughts on Vaughn? I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say, I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't put him as a lock. I think if it ends right now, he's a Hall of Famer. In fact, um, Joe Marino on his podcast was actually talking about people who had a shot, reasonable shot at Bruce Smith's 200 sack record. And he was like, well, basically nobody, nobody's got a shot at it. You know, it's really not, not really possible, but you know, Von Miller is the only active player who you think is within, you know, if he just didn't change at all, he didn't body, didn't break down for the next nine years. Yeah, sure. He could get a shot at it, but I think that him taking over that Super Bowl. And being a big part of the reason why that Peyton Manning team, where it wasn't Peyton Manning of old anymore, it was limpy Peyton Manning. It, he wasn't the sheriff anymore. He was the deputy. He got demoted. And that defense carried that team to a Super Bowl. And Von Miller was a big reason why, along with DeMarcus Ware on the other side. So I would put Von Miller as a lock. I think he's in. Yeah, that was egregious by me. He should have been in the lock category. We should have even had to, to debate that at all. Uh, next guy. And he, well, it wouldn't matter. I almost caught myself there. It wouldn't matter because there are no more games, but Luke Keekley, who is actually retired now, eight years, five times AP first team all pro, uh, second time, second team all pro, member of the all decade team, 2013 defensive player of the year, also one defensive rookie of the year. So what do you got for Luke? I think Luke's a lock. I yep. think he's locky Luke. Lockie I think Luke. five times AP first team all pro is all you need to know. Yeah, there are a lot of middle linebackers in the league. You know, you get this is not a, you know, where you get two shots at it or a wide receiver where you got multiple shots at it. There's one spot. So not only was he the best linebacker in the league, he was the unanimous best linebacker in the league five times that not top three, five times, not top five, five times, number one, five times. Luke Keekley, I think, walks into the Hall of Fame because I think he was the most dominant linebacker of his generation. And I think that the bills built their entire philosophy on trying to find defensively the next Luke Kuechly. And that's why they traded up for Tremaine Edmonds because they're like, we, we know what Luke Kuechly meant to us when we were in Carolina, we need to go get somebody like that. Now, obviously Tremaine Edmonds is not even close to being the player that Luke Kuechly is or was at the time, but they knew how valuable that role was. And they went to go, give up assets to go get someone like that because of how important Luke Keeley was. All right. Last guy on my list of near locks. I got Joe Staley, six pro bowls, 
Remember the decade, the all-decade team played in 181 career games. Uh, is, is this his opening cut for you as well? It's not a lock for me, but I, I think he gets in. I think longe- longevity really matters a lot for offensive linemen. A lot. And that's one of the reasons why I was so impassionate about the Zach Martin defense, because I do think the longevity matters a lot for offensive linemen. I think people were going to care. I would not be opposed to seeing Joe Staley in there. I think he was, I don't think he was ever the best tackle in the league, but I think he was always a top five, top 10 tackle in the league and longevity matters. 181 career games matters. So I think that that stuff will be enough for him to eventually get in. I don't know if it'd be first ballot, but he'll get in. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I'm thinking not first ballot, but he'll probably end up in. All right, so we're through two categories right here. Obviously, these were the marquee guys, so not a lot of debate. The Eli Manning was kind of a, of a divide, should versus Willie, and, you know, maybe minimal debate about Zach Martin and Joe Staley, but I think without question, they both end up in. Now is where I at least anticipate it, getting a little more interesting, and these are guys that I have as 50-50 guys, and I got 11 of these listed here. I think these are guys that, a case could very well be made for either way or against them, depending on your perspective. So, you know, before I'll ask you if it's a yay or nay, kind of the same thing. I may need a little more convincing than I needed with the, uh, the near lock guys. And I'm going to start with Russell Wilson. So he's been in the league eight years, six Pro Bowls, AP second team all pro in 2019, Super Bowl win, uh, 227 touchdowns, 68 interceptions, and he's Got 19 rushing touchdowns, which I don't know why I have that down. That's not that impressive. Maybe that's a misprint. But anyway, scratch that number. You heard all the other numbers, and I'm sure you got something to add. What's your thought on Russell Wilson going in? Again, no more chance to prove anything. It's right now. He needs more time. Uh, I think volume stats, I mentioned this with Eli Manning. I think volume stats matter a lot. I would rather put in Russell Wilson than Eli Manning. That's my hot take. But But that's a difference than whether or not I think they will get in. I right. think Eli Manning will get in. If if it ended right now for Russell Wilson, I do not think he would get in because volume stats matter a lot to voters. Longevity matters, and Russell Wilson wouldn't have had enough time at a position where they want to see longevity. You know, obviously they don't need to see it as much for skill position players, but they absolutely need to see it for quarterbacks. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame who were flashes in the pan. They need to see the longevity. They want to see your all time. Oh, he's fifth all time. He's 10th all time. He's eighth all time. They love that phrase all time because it it makes them think of a place where you put all time players, which is the Hall of Fame. And so I think Russell Wilson should be in. I think I would put him in. I think he's been an elite quarterback already more seasons than Eli Manning ever was. But in addition, I think he's freaking carrying that Seahawks team who is not doing a good job of surrounding him with valuable things where he can maximize his Super Bowl window. But I don't think he would get in. All right, that's fair. And I want to reiterate this for the millionth time. It'll be the last time. But just so everyone out there knows, we are talking about their career ending right now and not having more time. You're not saying if he would have played another three, four years, absolutely, he would be a lock to be in the Hall of Fame. But that's not the case. Those are the rules. Next guy, Khalil Mack, six years. 61 and a half sacks, 24 fumbles, seven fumble recoveries, 116 quarterback hits, all decade team, 2016 defensive player of the year, five Pro Bowls, three first team All Pros. I put him in. The three first team All Pros and the five Pro Bowls matter a lot. I care about that stuff when I'm trying to predict 
whether or not someone put him in, would put him in because a lot of the people who vote for the Hall of Fame are the same people who voted for things like that mm-hmm. and the same people who publicize things like that. So if you have multiple first team all pros, I'm going to pay attention to you. And I think six years is right there. I think the argument for Khalil Mack is very similar to the argument for Zach Martin. And if you're going to say they both paid six years, right? And they've both been dominant from the second they walked in the door. If you're going to say one is in, I think you have to say both is in. And if you're going to say one is out, I think you have to say both are out. I agree. All right. Now here's one that finally will have some interest specifically to Buffalo Bills fans, at least anyway, LaShawn McCoy, 11 years, 11,071 yards. He's had six 1,000-yard seasons, 503 receptions, six Pro Bowls. He's 22nd all-time in rushing, uh, two first-team All-Pros, and a member of the All-Decade team as well. I say no. I don't think he gets in. I think they need to see more from a running back to get him in, and I think they need to see more dominance to get him in. I mean, he had one, two, three, four, five, six 1,000-yard seasons, and he's been around for 11 years. So one out of two, he yeah. gets in as opposed to that stretch that Frank Gore had where every single year it was dominant. You know, his last year in Buffalo and his first year in Kansas City weren't very good. And he had some smattering of years where it wasn't. I mean, he didn't come in and, you know, take the world by storm. His first year he had 637 yards and 4.1 yards per carry. So I, I think that. Sean LaShawn McCoy right now is in the hall of very good and it's not quite there with the hall of fame. I, I think he needs, he needed one or two more first team, all pro nominations and one or two more pro bowls. I think to get in. Okay. That's fair. Next guy, Matt Ryan, a dozen years in the league. He's thrown 321 touchdowns, little over 51,000 yards. He's averaged 271 yards passing per game for his career, uh, the 2016 AP NFL Most Valuable Player, four-time Pro Bowler, uh, one-time first-team All-Pro, Matt Ryan. Having an NFL MVP to your record matters. That's relevant. I would put in Matt Ryan, stop me if you heard this before, i put him in over Eli Manning, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I don't think he gets in. I think that there was, he was consistently very good. I think LaShawn McCoy and Matt Ryan are in very similar camps where they're both around double digit years and they were very good. But when people look back to this era of football, the 2010s, can you talk about that era of football and not talk about Matt Ryan? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you can. You definitely can. Because he, he was very good, but he wasn't pivotal to his era. And at no point was he clearly one of the top three or five quarterbacks in the league. He was always top 10, I think. And I think everybody was kind of using him as a barometer. Well, if they're better than Matt Ryan, then they're definitely elite. And if they're worse than Matt Ryan, then they're definitely not elite. He was almost a gatekeeper for the discussions on what made somebody elite. And I think Matt Ryan's a very good quarterback. And I think the Bills would have been very lucky to have a player like that for the last 12 years. But that doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. I'll tell you what. Let's... uh do one more quarterback. I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to go with this. And then I'll, I'll get back to this because he's on his list too, but not in that same order. But since we just talked quarterback, let's throw the other one out there. You mentioned him earlier, Joe Flacco, 12 years in the league, 40,000 yards passing, 218 touchdowns. And he has a 2012 Super Bowl MVP to his credit. So Joe Flacco. Absolutely not. Yeah. A hundred percent not. Think about this for a second. The running joke 
when Joe Flacco was in his prime was, is Joe Flacco elite? That was the running joke was, was Joe Flacco elite? If that was so significant of his question, he wasn't good enough to be a hall of famer. Not only did we, were, were we not thinking about him as a hall of famer? We were trying to figure out if he was any good, Pat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's too strong for me. If you spent a chunk of your career having people try and figure out if you were any good, then absolutely not is the answer. The fact that you want a ring, I'm not, I don't care. I agree with you. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to go back to Matt Ryan because I thought of a player as you were talking about him. I think it's kind of, I, I, this is a 50, 50 category. I think he is going to be 50, 50 at the end of the day. Not talking about so much deserving, but whether he does And when you were talking, I started thinking about, believe it or not, Andre Reed. And what I meant is this, I felt like Andre Reed was always going to get in the hall of fame, but he had to wait his turn. You know, there were like three or four receivers that went in three or four consecutive years before him. I look at a guy like Matt Ryan, and I kind of feel that same way. I do think ultimately he is eventually going to get in, but it ain't going to be for a while. Like he's going to have to wait his turn. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Because there will always be somebody on the list who you're like, well, that guy was better than Matt Ryan. I can't put Matt Ryan in and not that guy. But eventually the log jam will clear up and right. there will be a year where he's the best quarterback on the list and that's when he'll get in. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about Reed. Like I said, you had to wait for Tim Brown. You had to wait for Chris Carter. Ultimately, Andre got in. Speaking of wide receivers, the next one on my list, wide receiver, A.J. Green, eight years, 602 catches, 8,907 yards. He's caught 63 touchdowns and he's been a seven-time Pro Bowler. So A.J. Green. Skill position player, man. They like volume stats from skill position players. That's why Frank Gore is in. And I don't think AJ Green is right now. If it ended right now, they need the fact that he didn't break 10,000 yards for his career. I think they need more. I think the people would need more from him to be able to get in there. I think that AJ Green was the fact that he's in Cincinnati and he was a lower market and they didn't win a lot when he was there probably hurts him. I think that if he gets two or three dominant years with Joe Burrow, I think he can get in. Okay, I agree. Yeah, he's a guy who still has an opportunity to make his case. I completely agree with you, though. And I'll tell you what, being in Cincinnati does matter. Not winning anything, it kind of because that was my first thought as I'm putting it together. I'm like, well, I'm looking at his stats. They're good stats. I'm like, all right, well, he's a Bengal, and, and they never played for anything. And pretty much for the entirety of his career, he's barely played any meaningful games. So, yeah, I got to agree with you there. Next guy, another former Bill, by the way, Stephon Gilmore, eight years in the NFL. He's got 24 picks. 111 passes defended. It's unquestionably one of the game's elite corners right now. 2019, this past year, defensive player of the year, a three-time Pro Bowler, and a two-time first-team All-Pro. So your boy, ex-Buffalo Bills, Stephon Gilmore. I say no right now. And one of the reasons I say no is because he wasn't the Stephon Gilmore that we know now in New England when he was with Buffalo. He was a good player with Buffalo, but he wasn't a dominant player with Buffalo. He was a good player. And... I think that, that that's a good thing because he was a first round pick and he I think he lived up to his first round billing, but he wasn't elite when he left. The narrative wasn't the Bills were letting the best corner in the league go. That was not the narrative. Right. Then he went to the, the Patriots and he's had a couple really two specifically really, really dominant seasons. He needs more than just that. He needs to be a spot where he has the Darrell Revis cred, where he is the best corner in the league or one of the best corners in the league for a five or six year stretch. And that's not what he is right now. He's, he's had a couple dominant years, but he needs more of them. I agree. And that's a really good point about the bills. Cause when he left, I remember the sentiment was, well, he's getting all that money. Let him go. 
If he was playing at that level in Buffalo, I think it would have been a lot more people pissed off regardless of what the money was. And by the way, props because we're not giving no easy passes here in the cannon, man. This has been a, it's been a lot of nays going on here, and I like that. Earl Thomas is up next. So you got 10 years here, played a decade, 30 interceptions, 713 tackles, 12 forced fumbles, a member of the all-decade team, a seven-time Pro Bowler, and a three-time first-team All-Pro safety. So Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is a lock, in my opinion. I think Earl Thomas is a stone-cold lock. I, here's a hot take for you. Earl Thomas is far more important to the Legion of Boone than Richard Sherman ever was. Ooh, wow. How you like, how you like that? That is hot, dude. It's lava. Earl Thomas was far more important to the Legion of Boom than Richard Sherman was. Earl Thomas stirred that drink. That is the reason why they were able to be as dominant as they were. And Earl Thomas, during his stretch, was, in my opinion, unquestionably the best safety in the league. Even when he wasn't being talked about like he should have been. And even when he wasn't, even if you make an argument, okay, well, this one year, this guy was better. He was always top three for a huge stretch. He was top three. I mean, there was an eight-year stretch where it was very, very clearly Earl Thomas making that thing go. And that's why he gets seven Pro Bowls, three first-team All-Pros, and he gets on an All-Decade team. Earl Thomas, in my opinion, is a stone-cold lock. All right. Well, I kind of feel stupid for having him here. But good. I kind of like that. Tyron Smith, Dallas Cowboys, seven Pro Bowls, two-time first-team All-Pro. It's tough for me, at least anyway, with offensive linemen, but what's your take on him? I think Tyron Smith gets in. Yeah? I think having having that longevity of high play, you know, gets you the, the Walter Jones treatment. You know, it gets you the Orlando Pace treatment. Sure. When you're so good, you're boring that's when you get into the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, Tyron Smith. Well, clearly one of the top five tackles in the league. And he's been that way for what seems like forever. It seems like he's been a top five tackle in the league for a million years. And that's going to be enough to get him in. He's so good, he's boring. There's just It's just absolute boring. Well, it's Tyron Smith. He's just doing the thing. He's a long-armed freak out of USC who ends up being a dominant tackle for a long time. And so, for me, Tyron Smith gets in. I want to ask you, I kind of want to switch gears here, and this has got nothing to do with the Hall of Fame, but we're talking about linemen in Pro Bowls, and sometimes, and you built a great case here for him, and I completely agree with you for the record, but I take a guy like, and I mean, we're going back to the 90s, but Reuben Brown, he made nine Pro Bowls with the Bills, and well, I don't know if they were all with Buffalo, but he's made, he made nine Pro Bowls in his career, and he was a four-time second-team All-Pro. That dude doesn't even get a sniff for the Hall of Fame. That's kind of messed up. Yeah, it is a little messed up. And I actually, I would make an argument that he, he deserves to be there. But there is a thing about guards in that era is that I think that everyone compared them to Larry Allen. Everyone expected a guard of that era to be, I think guards are much more likely to get in now than they were back then. Back then, it was this old school football mentality that your left tackle was your dancing bear and your right tackle was your road grader. And the, you know, the most important positions on your offensive line were left tackle and center and, you know, the guards or whatever. And so be it. You know, and they weren't getting paid. If you want to see how much respect someone gets around the league, show me how much they got paid. And guards weren't getting paid the way that they're getting paid now. Nowadays, guards and tackles have very similar contract structures. Yeah. And so it wasn't always that way. You'll you'll remember that Derek Dockery, the Buffalo Bills signing, when they signed Derek Dockery to a $7 million a year contract, people were like, holy crap, 
That is unbelievable guard money because guards weren't making that kind of money at the time. It was staggering. And I think that Ruben Brown played in an era where guard play wasn't really respected the way it should have been. And I think that hurts him. Yeah, I agree. Oh my God. You just said that. I'm thinking of seven years, $49 million for Derek Dockery. I'm going to freaking migraine right now. Just even thinking about that. I got two more linemen here to wrap up the, uh, the 50, 50 list. Marshall Yanda, 13 years in the league. Member of the All-Decade team, eight Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pro. Yes, I think Marshall Yonda gets in. Marshall Yonda, I think having having a Super Bowl ring helps because it's going to start, people, people are start evaluating that team. And that's really what happens. They start evaluating that team. What made that team that won the Super Bowl, in the Bills case, that team that made it to four Super Bowls in a row? What made that team go? What was the, what stirred the drink? And you think, okay, well, you know, Joe Flacco got hot. Okay, that's great. But what was, you know, what happened? You know, and you think, oh God, Ed Reed's and the, and the Ray Lewis's of that, of those, that era. And Marshall Yonda was a big part of that. And he was a big part of that consistently. He wasn't a big part of that once like Jamal Lewis was. He was a big part of that consistently. And so the same argument goes with the next guy on your list. And I think both of them get in. Yeah, that's Marquise Pouncey, nine years, all-decade team, eight Pro Bowls. Every year he's been healthy, he's been a Pro Bowler and two first-team All-Pros. So yeah, you're, you're down with Marquise uh, Pouncey being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think he'll get in. I do think Marquise Pouncey is a little bit overrated, but... That's just because I think people, you know, fawn, fawn over him all the time. And I think he's a good player. I think he'll get in. But the question is whether or not he should is a little bit more difficult for me because I think Marshall Yon is a better interior offensive lineman than Marquise Pouncey. I have no idea if that's a hot take or not. But Marquise Pouncey is one of those. And I think being a Steeler helps if you look at the classic Steeler centers like Dermonte Dawson, you know, these players that aura, that mystique that matters for people because a lot of times when voters vote, they vote emotionally and that's why they get up and they give their pitches and they give their pitches for why these players should be in because it's an emotional decision for a lot of people. And that Steelers center mystique, I think helps Marquise Pouncey get in. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So check it out. I got seven guys left. These are what I call long shots. These are very talented players that I personally don't think they've done enough to be in canon, at least based on the criteria that, again, there's no more games that are permitted to further the resume. You're going to have to convince me big time, I think, if uh, you think any of these guys end up being in the Hall of Fame, which I got, I kind of got a feeling you're going to at least once here. Let's start. DeAndre Hopkins, seven years, 632 catches, 8,600 yards, 54 touchdowns, four Pro Bowls, three first-team All-Pros, Downside that I have in my notes, he's only 78th all-time in receiving yards and only 107th all-time in touchdowns. But I don't know. What's your call on him? Well, if I said that A.J. Green wasn't going to get in with 602 receptions and 8,907 yards, then I can't really say DeAndre Hopkins is going to get in with 632 catches and 8,602 yards. So I have the exact same argument for both. They need more. Okay, and that's very fair. I think DeAndre Hopkins, again, if we're having this, if we were taping this podcast in 2024, I think it would be a different tune. But as of right now, I got to agree with you there. Matt Stafford, 11 years in the NFL, 41,000 yards, 256 touchdowns. He's thrown for 275 yards per game. Pro Bowl in 2014, 19th career passing yards, 18th all time in touchdown passes. So the thing I think is funny about this is that Matt Stafford has 
more yards than Joe Flacco in less years. Yeah. He's got more touchdowns than Joe Flacco in less years. He throws for more yards per game than Joe Flacco. He has basically, basically the same amount of hot streaks, but his doesn't end in a, his didn't end in a Super Bowl. So I say no to Matt Stafford. I think that the hall of very good was created for Matt Stafford. Okay. I got two consecutive receivers coming up here. I'm pretty confident that they're going to meet the same fate as our buddy DeAndre Hopkins. But first we'll start Mike Evans, six years, 462 catches, 7,260 yards, 48 touchdowns. He's had a thousand yards receiving all six of his uh, years so far in the NFL. And he's a three-time pro bowler, Mike Evans. Same argument as AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins. You need more from a from a skill position player. You need more volume. I uh, you know circling back to Matt Stafford. If Matt Stafford plays for another seven years and keeps throwing four or five thousand yards a year, he's he might get in on volume alone because he's still fairly young and he could still do that. But that same argument that I use with AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins applies to Mike Evans. Okay, let's. I got one more receiver. It's going to be the same argument, but I at least want to throw him out there. Adele Beckham Jr., six years, five of them have been healthy, 464 receptions. He's had three years of at least 90 catches, 6,511 yards, 48 touchdown catches, and a three-time Pro Bowler. Same category, right? You called it. All right. Travis Kelsey. Now, he's played six real seasons. He only played one game as a rookie. So six real seasons, officially seven, 507 receptions, 6,465 yards. 37 touchdown catches, all-decade team, five-time Pro Bowler, a two-time first-team All-Pro. He needs to give me more of what he's given me because right now you can make an argument he's the best tight end in the league depending on how you feel about George Kittle, whether or not it's him or Kittle, but he's clearly top three in the league. And if he stays that way for another five or six seasons or maybe even four, yeah, absolutely, he could get there, but he's not there now. All right, these are two guys. It's not going to come down to them not having enough time. It's going to be. Do you think they're Hall of Famers? One of them is cornerback Akib Talib, 13 years in the NFL, 35 picks, 10 interception returns for a touchdown, which I had to double look that up. I didn't believe that. Fourth in the NFL all time, five time Pro Bowler. When I said fourth in the NFL all time, meaning 10 interception returns for a touchdown, and he's a five time Pro Bowler. So, your thoughts on Akib Talib? Absolutely not. I don't think Akib Talib was ever one of the top three or four corners in the league. I think he had the ball production and he had some moments where he got the ball production and the interceptions that were flashy, but I don't think he was ever consistently a top five corner in this league. All right. Last guy here. And he's another former Buffalo Bill. Last guy on my list. I should say anyway, Marshawn Lynch, 13 years in the NFL, 10,413 yards, six times he's run for a thousand yards, 85 rushing touchdowns. He led the NFL twice in rushing touchdowns. Member of the all decade team, Five-time Pro Bowler, 2012 first-team All-Pro, and he's 16th all-time in career rushing touchdowns and 29th all-time career rushing yards. I say no for Marshawn Lynch. If I say that LaShawn McCoy is going to have trouble with 11 years and 11,000 yards, then I don't know why 13 years and 10,413 yards would somehow get you in. You have less yards in more time. Now, I know that he has a stretch, with the Seattle Seahawks where he was very, very, very good. And that's going to matter. That's going to matter. It's not just necessarily the totality. It's like you said, did you have a stretch where you were dominant? And he has it more than LaShawn McCoy, I think, has it. LaShawn McCoy's had kind of an up-and-down career. He had that one shining moment in 
Philadelphia where he was ridiculous. And then he had a couple very good seasons with Buffalo. But Marshawn Lynch had that stretch right in the middle where you could say this era was more about Marshawn Lynch and he had the ring for it. So I think there's a chance, but I'm going to say no. All right. So then, I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer that I was going to ask you, the former Buffalo Bills running backs, if you had to put one in, would it be Marshawn or LaShawn? And you're saying Marshawn for sure then, right? It'd be Marshawn. Yeah. All right. So, and again, some of these guys I didn't even list because they're just too young. They haven't been around. Like I said, McCaffrey, Mahomes, Barkley, Bosa, take your pick, either Bosa. Do you have any guys that I know you do? I don't know who they are, but who are a couple of people that you had that I omitted from having on this altogether? Former Buffalo Bill, Jason Peters. Ooh, nine, nine Pro Bowls, two-time All-Pro, and a Super Bowl championship. I think he's a lock. Me too. I think Jason Peter walks into the Hall of Fame. And I think that he was dominant from the time he started playing left tackle, and he was a freak athlete. And I think he's got that longevity that he was just so good every single year. I think that 100% he gets in. Yeah, you know <laughs> That's a complete omission on my part. I I can't, I flat out forgot him. If I would have thought of him, he absolutely would have been on there. Anyone else? Aaron Donald, six Pro Bowls and count, count with me. Not one, not two, not three, not four, five time all pro already. No one on our list has been five time all pro. Wow. You know, I, I didn't forget about it. I totally forgot about Jason Peters. I didn't look up Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald. I always say that name wrong because I didn't think he played for that long. But as you say that, and I look and we're talking about Zach Martin It's the same type of deal and even more yep. so dominant. So yeah, if you're, if we're putting Zach Martin in, I mean, it's not even a question. If you put Aaron- Zach Martin in, you've got to do it. If you put Khalil Mack, you've got to put him in. Yeah. And so if you're if you're if you're drawing the line at six seasons and of those six seasons, five of them, he was an all pro, which is just staggering. This is a guy who had 20 and a half sacks from the interior, Pat. Yeah, one of the mo- you can make an argument. He's the best player in the NFL right now, regardless of position. And he has been for a couple of years. Aaron Donald, in my opinion, is a lock, even if it ended right now. Yeah, I completely agree. If you go in that room, it, it, you had to convince the, you know, the committee it should take you about a half a second. All right, so you got Jason Peters and you got Aaron Donald. Is there anyone else? Justin Tucker, kicker, what? Baltimore Ravens. What? There are th- so name me the dominant kickers of this era. Adam Vinatieri will get in. Yeah, we can agree on Adam Vinatieri getting in, right? Justin he- Tucker's better. Justin Tucker is better than Adam Vinatieri. He's one of the most accurate kickers of all time. He's a four-time All-Pro, which remember, if you're a kicker and you're All-Pro, one. You're number one. Not anything else. You're number one. He's got the ring. He's got big kicks and big moments. Justin Tucker is clearly head and shoulders the best kicker in the league, and that's what you need. You can't be, with a kicker, you can't be a top five kicker in the league. Right. That doesn't matter for the Hall of Fame. You, can't, you have to be the best kicker in the league, and Adam Vinatieri was that, and he had that dominance. We can make a dis- we can have a discussion about Justin Tucker, and I think Tucker was better than Steven Goskowski, who was, of course, the, the predecessor for Adam Vinatieri. I think I think you have to look at this when you have someone who's a four time All Pro at their position. You have to look at that person, regardless of if that person's a kicker. Well, if you're putting him in, are you putting Adam Vinatieri in too? Then, yes. Okay, so that's four guys. Well, you know what? I would have thought of Adam Vinatieri. I mean, I should have. 
I never thought of Justin Tucker for a second, though. So thanks for educating me on that. Are we done? You got anyone else? Oh, I'm, I'm just getting started. Oh, Pat. shit. I'm just getting started. Let's go. Let's talk about Greg Olson. Everyone wants to say that Rob Gronkowski is a, is a Hall of Famer, right? Rob Gronkowski has 7,861 receiving yards. Greg Olson has 8,444. Rob Gronkowski has four 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Uh, Greg Olson has three 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Rob Gronkowski caught 79 touchdowns in his career. Greg Olson caught 59. Greg Olson wasn't uh, didn't have the peak that Rob Gronkowski had. But again, it's about taking how good you were multiplied by how long you were that good. And during his time in Carolina, he was consistently, the stretch from 2014 to 2016, where it was Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl for him, you can make an argument he was the best tight end in the league. Now, I don't think he's a lock by any chance. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think he had the peak that Rob Gronkowski did. Rob Gronkowski caught 17 touchdown passes in a year. That is staggering numbers. At no point did Greg Olson catch double-digit touchdowns in a in a season. So I would put Gronk over Greg Olson. But you have to look at the multiplication of how good Greg Olson was multiplied by how long he was that good. Okay, let's circle back to Justin Tucker. You would put him in the Hall of Fame. Do you think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame? I do. Because I think they're going to view Adam. I think you put. I think they're willing to put one kicker in per era, and I think Adam Vinatieri's era is viewed as being pr- prior to Justin Tucker's era. Okay, okay, that's where I was going with that. But you, you answered that well for me. All right, so we got Greg Olson. What what's next? The, I think one of the most egregious names that we didn't talk about is Bobby Wagner. Bobby Ooh. Wagner is the other person we need to talk about who's a five time All Pro, like Aaron Donald. Six Pro Bowls, five-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, one of the best linebackers in the league every single year. I think if he, if it wasn't for Luke Keekley, I think we would pay a lot closer attention to what's going on with Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner is dominant. He is extremely talented, and he is good in all aspects of the game. He is part of what made that Seattle defense dominant, but they weren't paying attention to that. You were paying attention to the Legion of Boom. But there was a middle section. When you play a cover three defense like they did, it puts pressure on your linebackers to be able to deal with the middle and intermediate routes, or otherwise you'll get torn up by slot receivers and tight ends because you've got deep thirds taken care of, but you need the linebackers to be able to cover that intermediate area. And that's what Bobby Wagner can did. He was the, in 2002, he was the new wave of linebackers who could run and cover and do it all. And when you have five-time All-Pro, you, we got to talk about that. Well, I'll tell you this. If he does end up in the Hall of Fame, I think Bobby Wagner should go be considered one of not just football, one of sports' most underrated players ever. Because I literally never hear Bobby Wagner talked about. Not saying that he doesn't deserve to be talked about, and you, just, and you told me why just now, and I agree, but you never hear about him. You hear about so many other players, so many even linebackers before you even hear about him. You're talking about him being a Hall of Famer. I never even hear him discussed. Yeah, and he really should be, and that's, and that's, a, that's a shame 
that we don't talk about him. I think part of him being on the West coast and being the four o'clock games and not having the stuff that, that other people want him to do um, as far as publicity, I think really hurts that. But Bobby Wagner is one of the most dominant players of any position of our era. And I think it's an absolute downright dirty shame that we didn't talk about him more. Hmm. How many guys you got left? Uh, just a few. All right. What do you got? What's up next? Jason Witten. Mm. We yeah. mentioned that Gronk had 7,000 something yards and, and Greg Olson had 8,000 yards. How about Jason Witten? We talked about with skill position players, getting raw numbers matters. We talked about that a couple times during this entire podcast, 13,000 yards. For Jason Witten, 12,977 yards to put that in perspective, to put that in perspective, that is double what Odell backup junior has as a tight end. And how about we throw out the fact that he's been to the pro bowl 11 times, double digit pro bowls, two time, all pro and that kind of stats. I think he walks in. Hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't know how I forgot. I'm almost putting him on the same level of Jason Peters. You know what we're learning here today? We're learning about some NFL players. And we're also learning that Bruce Nolan does his homework a hell of a lot better than Patrick Moran does. That's for damn sure with that. But hey, that, good. That's the way I, I kind of wanted to play out this way. And this is what is making this episode so much fun for me to do. All right. What else you got? All right, last two I want to talk about. First one's Geno Adkins because he plays in Cincinnati. No one talks about him, but he's the best player on that team and has been. He's better than A.J. Green. Geno Adkins is what we hope Ed Oliver will become, which is why we should pay closer attention to him. Eight Pro Bowls, eight Pro Bowls, yeah. two All-Pros. When you start to get close to double-digit Pro Bowls, you got to pay attention to that player. Eight Pro Bowls, two-time All-Pros, and consistently, I mean, the sack count on a Bengals defensive line year over year, three, seven and a half, 12 and a half, six, three, 11, nine, nine, 10, four and a half for a defensive tackle. If Warren Sapp had those numbers because he talks more, we'd be like, Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, totally. Let's pull up Warren Sapp real fast and just take a look at what he's got because Warren Sapp is a great three tech and was one of the pioneers toward the three tech position. If you look at Warren Sapp, it's, Three, nine, ten and a half, seven, twelve and a half, sixteen and a half, huge, six, seven and a half, five, two and a half, five, ten, two. Ninety-six career sacks in what is that, thirteen years? And then if you go to Geno Atkins, he's got seventy-five and a half sacks, but he hasn't played nearly as long. So if Geno Atkins keeps up a reasonable pace then we'll look at him the way we look at Warren Sapp. But even if it ended right now, you could make an argument that he needs to be in. I don't think he's a lock by any means, but I think he deserves to be talked about. Sure. I agree. All right. Who's your last one then? Last one. I saved the best for last, Pat. Oh God. You're going to embarrass me. Lay it on me. Antonio Brown. Whoa. 11,263 yards receiving. Had a stretch where he made five... Six Pro Bowls in a row. He has seven Pro Bowls total. He has four All Pros. Again, you got to start looking at this. When you get close to double-digit Pro Bowls and you start to get three, four, five All Pros, that matters. And there was a long stretch from 2013 to 2018 where he was globally considered to be one of the top two or three receivers in the league. 
Hmm. Never thought of it. I don't ever think he's going to get in, though, because of all the shit that's going on off the field, if anything else. All right, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to kind of wrap this. I'm going to go back to the beginning, and we're just going to go quick, yay or nay. We've went through some of them I already know, but there were some where, like, we made a case, but never, I kind of didn't ask you, you know, like, this is going to be based on if Bruce Nolan, you're to forget the committee, you're the one who's putting people in the Hall of Fame, okay? Got it. No one else except for you, and that's all that matters is your vote, the locks again, Brady, Breeze, Fitzgerald, Big Ben, Gore, Suggs, Gronk, J.J. Watt, Peterson, Rogers are all yes, and Eli Manning for you is a no. Correct. Okay, so that's 10 locks. Um, from the near lock category, 10 out of 11. So from the near locks, we had six. Uh, Philip Rivers, Richard Sherman, Zach Martin, Von Miller, Luke Keekley, Joe Staley. You wrote for all six of them is yes, correct? Yep. All right, so then we moved on to the... 50-50 guys, I'm pulling this up right now. Um, yes, we have, you have a yes for Khalil Mack. You have a yes for Earl Thomas. You have a yes for Tyron Smith. A yes for Marshall Yanda. And uh, Marshall Yanda. And then a yes for Marquise. Do you have a yes for Marquise Pouncey? Again, this is all you now. Yes, I put him in. Okay, and we got nays for Shady, for Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, A.J. Green, Flacco, and Stefan Gilmore. Yes. All right. Now we got the the last category that I had was the long shots. DeAndre Hopkins, Stafford, Mike Evans, OBJ, Travis Kelsey, Akeem Tlaib, and Marshawn, and those are all a nay. Correct. All right. And now from yours, Jason Peters is a yes. Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald is a yes. Justin Tucker for you is a yes. Adam Vinatieri is a yes. Is Greg Olson a yes? Ooh, that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah, I'm because these say... guys, uh, not to cut you out there, but at the end, like these were guys you said were worth a discussion. Now I'm going to ask you, yes or no, this is on you. So yeah, Greg Olson. I'm going to say no for Greg Olson. Okay. Bobby Wagner. Yes. <laughs> He's so underrated. Holy shit. This guy's going to the Hall of Fame. Again, I never thought it. What an underrated dude. Jason Witten. Yes. Gino Atkins. No. And then last but not least, Antonio Brown. Yes. Yes. Really? If it was me, I would put him in because I don't care that he's a psycho. That's not relevant to me. All right, the so Hall of Fame is designed to be the elite of the elite. And you cannot tell the story of the 2010s NFL without talking about Antonio Brown's contributions on the field. It's impossible. So that ends up, we ended up putting 28 players that are in the NFL, if you include him and a couple guys that are actually retired. But again, they played in 2019. So 28 guys ended up being in the Bruce Nolan Hall of Fame. One last question, and I'm going to let you go. Is there anyone that you saw on this list where when I first sent it to you, again, obviously no one from your list because I didn't even give you an opportunity to review those guys. But anyone that I sent you where maybe your first instinct was a yes or a no, uh, being I'm being a Hall of Famer. And then maybe as you thought about it a little more and you started looking through some numbers, doing a little bit of your research that you kind of wavered a little bit or changed your mind on. Marquise Pouncey was a tough one for me because I think he's right on that line where, you know, you have the Reuben Brown discussion. Where are these empty Pro Bowls? You know, are these empty Pro Bowls for Marquise Pouncey? Are they Pro Bowls that are just based on name recognition and the mystique of the of the Steelers? You know, because we always talk about how it's interesting, you know, when the Pro Bowl list comes out every year. We begrudge it for saying it's just a popularity contest. And then when the time comes to pick Hall of Famers, we start racking up Pro Bowls. I find that incredibly hypocritical 
of the NFL and media and content creators in general. So it is interesting. Marquise Pouncey was the one I struggled with the most. And I said, okay, like when I thought about NFL centers during his year, during his time, could I tell the story of NFL centers without talking about Marquise Pouncey? And I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on it. I eventually decided that, yes, I'd put him in, but it's a real soft yes. Hmm. I'm going to tell you, I think tomorrow's headlines are going to read Antonio Brown goes into the Bruce Nolan Hall of Fame. You know what? I'm good with it. I mean, I, listen, if, if you want to come at me and try and tell me that there was not a, a dominant six-year stretch, which by your own definition, you said five or six killer seasons, you can't have five or six killer seasons quite like Antonio Brown did from 13 to from 13 to 18. Okay. This is the yardage total. 1,499, 1,698, 1,834, 1,284, 1,297. Each one of those numbers could lead the league in any given year. That's how good he was. Doesn't that speak so much? How, I mean, you just laid it out. The guy's an incredible talent. That just must really speak to his character and, and, and his attitude that this dude can't get a job. It's crazy. Yeah, I really think it does. And I think it boils down to, you know, whether or not people think that he's got enough left in the tank and whether or not they think that, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze is the question. And so, I mean, really, when you think about that, use that phrase and say, is the juice worth the squeeze? It's really a binary discussion comparing what you define the juice as and what you define the squeeze as. And if you think that he doesn't have enough left and you think it's going to be a headache, then you don't think it's very much juice and you think it's a lot of squeeze. So that's really what this boils down to. But every single one of those years, he had over a hundred catches too. So it wasn't just like he was getting lucky on some deep balls and he was absolutely dominant. And so I don't think you can tell the story four time, all pro player, seven time pro bowler. He's got the, the dominant stretch. He's got the, the, the long-term, you know, raw yardage that you want to see from a skill position player. He's got the defining era you know, he's got the defining catch. He's got everything you want from a from a Hall of Fame player. The only thing that would keep him back is something I don't care about, which is the fact that he's a psycho. I, I, but for the Bruce Nolan Hall of Fame, it doesn't matter if he's a psycho. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, Bruce. I've taped, this is episode 225. I've done some great episodes and some episodes that I kind of wish I could have back. But I could count probably on one hand the amount of times that I've taped a show and put it out and went back and listened to it and was eager to listen to my own voice and listen to an episode. I am actually looking very much forward to playing this back and hearing somebody's takes again. This was something different and it was a lot of fun. I feel like an idiot for a couple of the players I left off. But aside from that, man, I think this was a lot of good conversations and some of them I expected and frankly, some of them I didn't expect you definitely talked me in it. I never even thought of it. Tony O'Brown. I think he talked me out of Eli Manning. A uh, couple other guys as well. Joe Staley. I was kind of a little bit on the fence and I think he kind of leaned me the proper way. But it, my point being is this was just, this was a lot of fun to do, man. I hope you enjoyed it too, because again, I, you're, you're a Bills guy and you're locked in and you're doing two shows a week. You're grinding. So hopefully this was a little something different for you too to kind of get your creative juices flowing a little bit. 
Well, I appreciate you having me, man. It was a fun topic to talk about and it was good to get on here and kind of make sure I reached your audience about the changes to the Buffalo rumbling side of things and how I'm going to do the solo show. And I really hope everybody comes over and joins me, you know, for my solo show. I'm really excited about it. You know, I finished, uh, I finished mixing the new music with my wife and I got new podcast art. So I'm just kind of excited to do some new things and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on for yours. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast. Big ups one more time. My man, Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan Show, and now also Bruce Exclusive. You can get those podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network available wherever podcasts are found. Thanks again, Bruce. Also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Audimute, and of course, Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, Please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really, truly helps me continue to grow this show. You can find us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also follow us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, Talking Buffalo Podcast. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes, and at least soon enough anyway, stuff that you will not get anywhere else including this podcast. So go check it out. Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I say it all the time and I mean it. If you want to get a hold of me, don't call me, don't text me, don't email me, don't Facebook me. Find me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I'm there pretty much 24-7. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate all of you. I know how many podcasts there are out there. There's a trillion of them. Feels like every day there's like 50 new podcasts to choose from. So when you're listening to this, it humbles me. It means a lot. So thank you very much. Have a good week. Stay safe. I feel like when saying stay safe means so much more now than it did before with everything going on. So please stay safe. Have a new show for you coming up on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.